Blue Wire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Rebuild. I'm Henry Ettinger, coming to you very late on a Thursday night. Was trying to wait as long as possible to record this pod, but could wait no longer. Just, you know, more news coming out day by day on the Browns' current situation. But we had to get this preview pod in because, hey, the Browns are still in the playoffs, still playing a big game on Sunday night. And and to break it all down, I wanted to bring in a guest who we've had on before, who I reference his work all the time on this show, Jake Burns, in in to preview this game. Jake, how are you doing tonight? I'm great, Henry. Thanks for having me, man. Absolutely, absolutely. I was just talking about your uh, your work actually on the last podcast with the the Jets and the way they schemed the Browns in that game and all of that. So you're you're frequently referenced on this podcast and glad to have you back on. But look, in order to preview this game, there's an obvious place to start, right? The the COVID issues continue to affect the Browns as they have the last couple of weeks. We got news early in the week that the, the Browns would be without Kevin Stefanski among several other coaches. We're now getting word about several players that are also going to be missing this game as well. Before we dive into the effects of all of that, including the absence of Antonio and, and all of that, I just want, Jake, I wanted to get your take just kind of on the whole general situation. I know some Browns fans are upset. Others say, you know, it could be something on the Brown side to blame. Where are you at kind of with just everything that's happened in the last several days? Well, um, it sucks. <laughs> I don't know that there's a great, like there's not really a great way to put it because, you know, they've lost obviously significant pieces uh, from, from Stefanski to Batonio to, to Kadero Hodge, kind of down the line. And, and we really don't know if Denzel Ward's going to make it back either. There's an assumption, but we don't know. So it's like they've lost a significant amount of people and important people to their cause, to their plan, to their approach. And the biggest problem is, we all are kind of trying to figure out if the NFL would move it and um, the NFL's failure to contain it or recognize the seriousness of it. But even if they move it a couple days in the next week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, they're not going to, they're not going to be able to get those guys back. It won't mean anything. The only advantage from possibly doing that is that the Browns could potentially get some practice time, which is probably not being talked about enough. In my opinion, you can, you could go a week uh, about, Um, you know, I would say a week with minimal practice and get by kind of like a bye week But if you go two, three weeks without having a significant number of practices, it just, it has an effect. You know, if, if, if anybody has played football or maybe some of you haven't, it's not really that important, but I think that, uh, just like any, uh, operation or, you know, task that's trying to be accomplished, whether your job or your family, uh, doing something important that relies on other people. There's cohesion, there's timing, there's technique, there's all of those, those elements that go into it. And, you know, for the Browns, one practice right now is all they've had one true practice in the last two weeks. And I think that that eventually catches up with you. We're not able to, to, to tweak some of the things that you do. It's hard to do that via zoom. It's, it's, it's really challenging to put that stuff in and organize it. Uh, through through internet video calls like it's just almost impossible so at some point there's rustiness involved yeah you got you know you guys maybe you guys are fresh and you can look at that approach but you got to practice man you got to refine your craft you got to you got to get everything the way you want it to look and and uh, there's an element to being out on the field and seeing how the other team's going to approach you and play you and and all of that stuff and, and practical applications and that part sucks 
So yeah, they may end up moving it a day or two if there's another couple positive days of tests here, but it's not going to impact the Browns playing and not playing situation or coaching and not coaching situation all too much because they're not going to, they're not going to bump it back a week. They can't do that. Then everybody else is off kilter and, and all of this stuff. So the NFL is just kind of in a rock and a hard place here where they, in the regular season, they could shift around some bye weeks and do some things to help, help some, some, some issues out with, 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 uh, you know, whatever a breakout or whatever you want to call it. Uh, but they can't do that in the playoffs here because it's only one team and, and it's unfortunate that kind of, of course it's a Brown game and, and it, uh, it, there's, there's no better thing to say than the cliche that I, I don't like all that much. It is what it is. It's just, it's tough. It sucks. And, and um, I'm sure if the, if the, if the situation tables were flipped and Pittsburgh was dealing with it, we would probably not have as big an issue. So you just have to figure out a way to win. Maybe they win, maybe they don't, but it is what it is. And, and that part of it is, is super unfortunate for a team that's trying to, you know, do something with their first opportunity in 18 years in the, in the playoffs. A lot of great points there and a lot uh, I agree with on the, on that side of things. You said it at the beginning. It, it, it sucks. It's unfortunate. It's sad, frankly. Uh, that was my first feeling. It was hard to be a Browns fan early this week, right? When you see, you know, not only Kevin Stefanski, but but a guy like Joel Botonio, who's been a mainstay on this team for the last several years and, and gone through a lot of the losing under Hugh Jackson, and now he gets a chance to play in a playoff game, you think, and, and then that's taken away from him. As a fan, you feel for that guy, and, and that hurts. Uh, and, and obviously, it, it diminishes our chances of winning on, on Sunday. So that also hurts, uh, and, and all of that. And as we know, these opportunities don't come around all that often necessarily. And the, the practice thing is another great point you bring up. It was one of the points I cited as a reason why Browns fans should be so optimistic about the season. And, and Kevin Stefanski is, look, all of this improvement that the Browns have made has come with limited time working together, right? And now that limited time has basically been reduced to zero. Uh, you, as you said, one practice, really not a whole lot in the last couple of weeks. And there isn't a whole... There's just no other solution, and and you pointed that out as well. Even going back to the Jets and the Steelers games, I know, you know, obviously with the Jets, there was an opportunity to potentially get those close contacts back, right? But the difference here, as you said, is a lot of these players have and coaches have actually tested positive. They're not close contacts. There's no way to get them back. Even Denzel Ward, 10 days later, we're talking about may or may not play. So there's really – there's nothing the NFL could do. There, there really isn't, and it – it sucks as a Browns fan there. I'd love for there to be somebody to blame for somebody to be mad at for the way this feels, but ultimately there isn't. So all we can do, as you pointed out, is go ahead toward that game Sunday and, and tr the Browns need to put their best foot forward in order to try to win the game anyway, because there still is going to be that opportunity, no matter with who exactly is going to be on the field, the Browns are going to have a chance on Sunday night to advance in the playoffs. So let's take it there, Jake. And let's start on the Browns offensive side of the football versus the Steelers defense. I would say to me, the most, the thing I'll be watching for the most is how the Browns offensive line holds up. We talked about uh, already Joel Batonio is going to miss this game. I thought the Browns offensive line had their worst game of the season in the first matchup with the Pittsburgh Steelers. 
And frankly, the way the game went down in week 17 didn't give me a ton of confidence either. I know you're somebody that's going to watch the tape, though. Should I have any more confidence in the Browns offensive line as the Steelers get some guys back? Or should I be as concerned as I am going into this one? Probably concerned. I mean, Pittsburgh plays good football no matter what. And they're they're in the top five in sacks every year. And and uh, they play the run game extremely well. I posted a lot of data about run game effectiveness in both concepts, gap and zone. Um, uh, today in my piece on the OBR, I kind of put up a, a myriad of different offensive notes ahead of this game in terms of Alex Manpelt and what they can do and and pass game concepts and all that stuff is all in there for you for you to check out. But like, yeah, I, I, they're good, man. Like they play they play an odd front, which is it, it's a consistently odd front, which means they have five guys across the front. So. It's technically some people label it a three, four, but with the way Pittsburgh plays it, it's a, it's a five, two, they're playing five defensive linemen almost all the time. And you can call them outside linebackers and Alex Highsmith who took over for Bud Dupree and TJ Watt, but they're really rush guys. They're just edge defenders who rush. So um, they play a five, two, and then they vary uh, their defensive back rotations. And sometimes we'll have just one linebacker on the field, so on and so forth. But yeah, dating back, to what feels like forever, Henry. The, the the question is, why haven't the Browns played them well? And ironically enough, Joel Batonio has been a guy who just continually has struggled against Pittsburgh. Now, I think anybody in the NFL who plays the Pittsburgh Steelers twice a year probably can struggle to block Cam Hayward. Like he's just, he's just a bull, man. Like he's just extremely talented, low center of gravity, great leverage, has some nice moves that he's built up over the years, and he gives Joel fits. He's just always giving him fits. And Stephon Tewitt has like 11 sacks, nine, nine or 11, something, something in between there, depending on which stat uh, you prefer from which company. But you know, some places give half sacks and some things like that. But he's really good, and there's not, he's not talked about enough. And they just let go of Javon Hargrave last year. So you mix in all these guys, and then they have Tyson Alawalu, who although has had a disappointing career, has been really good for them. Those are just their interior guys that are really good. Then you add TJ Watt, who is the perfect player for that defense in terms of what they want their edge guys to do. High motor, uh, can crash pockets. He, he plays from a wide angle that puts offensive tackles at a disadvantage. And unfortunately, it looks like they found their their fix to, to Bud Dupree walking in free agency. Although Bud tore his ACL, he's going to probably go get paid somewhere else. And they drafted Alex Highsmith, who's done a great job for them filling in. So it's just tough, man. And, and, and I talked about the bootleg stuff is not a thing that teams, especially the Browns and their wide zone approach, they don't like to boot uh, against teams who run a, a 5-2 approach because that odd front is challenging to, to sneak out the backside on. Those ends play wider. They play with less, uh, less down the line squeezing. Uh, the 4-3 defenses, defensive ends kind of squeeze off the backside. They don't do as much of that because they have a front side nose guard. Uh, so they basically added a half a defender to the backside, which sounds really stupid when you say it, but teams kind of call zero nose a guy right over the center, a half to each side because he could go either way. So it just becomes a numbers game and it becomes more challenging. And that D, that backside edge or outside linebacker in five, two fronts, three, four, whatever, they don't have to, they don't have to, to be as down the line. And, and traditionally they don't sneak out much like the Browns didn't run a ton of boots against the Jets are Giants. I think they only ran two and uh, one in two games there because those are odd front teams and they didn't feel great about it. I think they ran two. 
uh, over two games. Only ran four total boots against the uh, Ravens in two games uh, combined, and they only ran three against Pittsburgh in, in, in two games combined. So I wouldn't expect a ton of it. It's going to be straight drop play action stuff when they do it. Uh, unless they listen, they could surprise me. They could have a wrinkle uh, here and, and do it three or four times in one game, and I'd be a little bit surprised. But um, listen, man, they're they're going to give anybody fits, and and you just have to hope that you can create a couple big plays in the run game, like we saw the other day on Sunday, and you have to hope that you can in, in pick apart situations where they leave their defenders on islands. I mean, they don't have Joe Hayden. Their secondary, I think, is susceptible at the safety position alternate. Uh, uh, Minka Fitzpatrick so find a couple you got to get to you probably have to get to 28 points maybe maybe more but uh, <laughs> I don't I just don't feel I just don't feel great about it I I, I think they could listen they come out spread football any given Sunday a team can show up and the game plan works to perfection somebody slips somebody falls somebody isn't where they need to be at the perfect time um that stuff can happen and it could happen Sunday and the Browns could pop off you never know I mean it's like they played the Titans they had 41st half points you just you never know sometimes things yeah. work in your favor and it's just football's kind of got a lot of variance in that regard sometimes but for the most part man-to-man how are they going to block cam hayward uh with with michael dunn or kendall lamb whoever they put at left guard it remains to be seen i don't know are they going to leave a tight end in tight to be able to, to sneak over and help are they going to keep a back in the whole time are they going to run two backs to keep one back in uh, along the interior to help and, and swing it back out on the route i don't know there's a lot of stuff they could do I think that they could do some wham blocking, sending a tight end uh, down the line to, to kick out somebody like uh, Hayward on a trap scheme, you know, just some different things that confuse them up front would be really good. But there is, there's no doubt, man, they are, they are up against it. Uh, even with a full healthy offensive line, it was going to be a challenge. Now you take away an important player in Betonio and your play caller and your offensive line coach isn't there to help with in-game tweets and adjustments it becomes even harder. So it is, uh, it is certainly an uphill battle. I'm not here on the podcast or my podcast or any podcast decision and say they can't do it. They can do it and find a way. But in terms of just sheer looking at the data, looking at the, the personnel and saying the Browns should feel really good about this. Well, that's not the case. It's just, a, it's a really big challenge for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why we have you on this show. I think that it, the, the points about the odd fronts that the Steelers are running, that's a great one in, in terms of putting in perspective, you know, going really deep into why the Browns have, have seemed to struggle so much. And you talked about the, the bootlegs as well, kind of disappearing from the game the last couple of weeks on the Brown side of things. And I think that's an important point to note as well. And Browns fans can kind of expect that going forward into this game is Baker Mayfield's not going to be able to, in all likelihood is not going to be bootlegging out of the pocket a lot against the Steelers. Right. And Hey, his offensive line potentially could struggle a little bit in this one. And even in, even without Cam Hayward, even without TJ Watt in week 17, it felt like almost all of the drives were derailed by a sack. I had that in my notes, like time and time again, like drive derailed by sack drive derailed by sack. And it, so it, to me, as I said, that's the most important thing. But we, we got to get to the most important position on the offensive side of the field, and that's Baker Mayfield. If he's not going to potentially have the offensive protection that he's used to and he's not going to be able to do the bootlegs and the other things that allow him to get on the edge and work that way, a lot more is going to fall on his shoulders in that drop-back passing game in the pocket, Jake. And we, we've talked, you know, there have been some strides from Baker Mayfield in that area. There's also been some struggles at times this season. What is he going to have to do to be successful in this game? Because this is a big one for him. A lot is kind of falling on his shoulders here. And it would be a, in all likelihood, a huge effort from him if the Browns are going to be able to win this game. 
Yeah, great platform for Baker, right? I kind of tweeted that out uh, yesterday that, you know, if you're looking for a game where you can call back on and say, you know, Baker Baker is 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 proving to be the franchise guy we all hoped he could be, this, is, this would be the scenario, this game, this moment, this time. You know, the Browns lose and Baker doesn't play well, it's pretty easily explainable. I don't think it yeah, takes ab- genius absolutely. to figure out why it would go wrong. But if they do and they figure it out and he throws for 350 and three touchdowns, it's like, oh, okay, that's the moment early in his career where the Browns said, okay, this is our guy. This is what we want for the future. Because it's it's like that, man. Like every, you know, people, I even t- Pittsburgh has a weird media complex over that way about like just belittling the Browns whenever they can. It's like, you guys forget that Ben Roethlisberger after three or four years wasn't the guy they were sure about. They were uncertain about paying him before they paid him. And then, you know, he, as he approached 30, it's like, okay, I could see a path to the hall of fame for this guy, but you didn't know early in a year with 18 intercept or 18 touchdowns, 23 interceptions, I believe his third year. So it's like, there are moments you build it up. Not every quarterback is Pat Mahomes right when they hit the NFL, you know, like there's, there's moments and growth and not everybody's the same. And you find moments in which you could guys figure it out. And this could be a game where he does. So um, it's just a great opportunity for him. I'm not going to get on the internet and bash him if it goes poorly. It's like I said, it's, it's so easy to understand why it wouldn't go well, but if, if it goes well and, 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 and you could look at it and say, this is a moment where I think Baker really proved himself to the Browns franchise coming off a bad year last year, all of that stuff. It would be really big for his career. And, and it's nice because he's playing without expectation, but um, I do want to talk a little bit about staying on schedule because that's so important. And you look at, you look at the formula for the Browns to win this game. It's, it's creating as many offensive possessions as they can, creating some turnovers, creating however you get the football away from Pittsburgh and getting themselves out in front early. Didn't happen last time. In most of the games the Browns have lost, it hasn't happened. Uh, they're not a great come from behind team. The Ravens, they proved they could do it a little bit, but they are not a great come from behind team in general. So you look at the last game, Minka Fitzpatrick jumps, a, uh, I think the Browns second throw of the game, he jumps a jumps a slant, seven, nothing. They end up giving another touchdown up in the first quarter, 14, nothing, and then boom. The game plays into Pittsburgh's favorite, right? It's it's pin your ears back, rush the passer. The Browns aren't going to run consistently because they're down. It's 28-7 at half. It's, it's over, right? Like you just – it's so hard to come back on Pittsburgh at 28-7 because they just rush the passer with such a ferocity. And when you eliminate the idea that they have to play the run, they're just completely different. They're, they're, they take it to a whole new level. Luckily, the crowd won't be there for them to thrive off of. But nonetheless, you get my point. It's just challenging. And the thing, too, is like you're talking about taking situations where – they have to stay out in front of the sticks. They don't want to put themselves in many um, poor third down situations. And that's something that's happened to them in those two games. You think back to this past Sunday, two second down sacks that derailed drives. You know, people want to talk about uh, run the football, run the football, run the football. I get it. I hear you, man. Nick Chubb's great. I, I get it. But when it's second and two, second and three, and you want to, and that's the perfect spot, Henry, to call play action. That's like an ideal spot to call play action, but you can't take sacks on those play action plays. Cause then it becomes third and 16, third and 50. You know what I mean? Like all of a sudden second and six becoming third and 15, it's the drive's over. You may get lucky and get one of those, but you run seven third downs at third and 12 and above, and you may get one or two of them, you know, uh, otherwise it's a fluke game. Maybe you get more, but it's just rare and especially rare against Pittsburgh. So in their first matchup, they had multiple second down sacks that derailed drives. And the same thing happened Sunday where they took two and, and, um, you know, that's all it takes. You only get like you know, 10 possessions a game, maybe less than that. And if a couple of them, if you look at the Browns efforts Sunday, two of them second down sacks on second and short creates really hard third down situations. They can't get out of another one in the third quarter there. They 
uh, coming out of halftime that's fourth and one. We think they're going to go for it after Baker scrambled on like third and four. It's fourth and one. They get a, a false start. So it's it's a punt. So it's like that's three possessions where, you know, maybe they only ran three offensive plays or six offensive plays, but they could have run 12, 15 or more. And that's where you see Nick Chubb get the 10, 12, 14 extra carries in a game. That makes sense. So like you can't lose drives to negative plays. And that will be so imperative for Baker, the offensive line and the scheme at which they use the things they do within their scheme to eliminate the opportunity for Pittsburgh to create second down medium short sacks. You just can't have those. So it's, I can't preach that enough about, you know, your own mental mistakes or your own follies hurting yourself and putting yourself behind the sticks um, that, that forces you into losing a possession that you could take advantage of. So very important for Baker in that regard. And uh, hopefully he can do some snap count variation stuff and they can take advantage of that with a, with a quiet stadium too, because he's been pretty good at that this year. Yeah. I've, I've been banging the drum that Baker Mayfield rivals Aaron Rodgers for the best hard count in the league at this point this year. And you talked about the Browns staying on schedule and balancing kind of that run versus pass game, the play action versus the run game with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. And that's something Kevin Stefanski has been praised for several times throughout the season is, you know, going with the run at the right time, going with the play action at the right time, and then sticking with it and really creating some opportunities for adjustments as the game goes along in the run game as well. And obviously the Browns are going to be without Kevin Stefanski in this game, right? He, he's not going to be there. So a lot falls to Alex Van Pelt. He'll be the one calling plays, the offensive coordinator for this team. He has not called plays all season. In your mind, Jake, how, I mean, try to put in perspective for our fans and listeners here, just how big of a difference is that? How, what's going to be the difference in terms of in-game adjustments, all of that, at least your best guess, given the fact that we, we just don't really know what to expect in this one. Yeah. Well, a AVP hasn't called plays since uh, 2009. I kind of wrote about that too. He's, he was thrust into the offensive coordinator role just four years or so out of the NFL on his own. He was a quarterback coach in Buffalo under, under Dick Duron and Dick Duron fired the offensive coordinator like a week before uh, their, their Monday night football season opener in, in New England. And uh, that forced uh, Alex to be the, the play caller. It's his only year as a play caller, true play caller in the NFL and some good moments early, which lead me to think that he might be able to handle this for a game or two. Um, but, but, you know, he's, he's also had 11 years of growth time with Aaron Rodgers, time, time in good offenses in the NFL with Cincinnati too. So like, um, he can handle it. I don't think it's crazy for a game. There will be times where maybe, and I would even say when Stefanski was coaching uh, just last week uh, without Bill Callahan, there's some stuff that you don't see as a guy, like most offensive coordinators are not run game guys. Like they're not offensive line guys they're not offensive line coaches. So like those tweaks that can be made in game uh, usually come from the, the, offensive line coach on the sideline like Callahan is some guy set up in the box but what I'm guessing is Bill has hit a guy an assistant offensive line coach or a, a quality control personnel guy up in the box and says hey I need to know what they are doing in this this and this to this formation alignment whatever he gets that information processes it looks at the tablet on the sideline and they come up with the plan adjustments they don't have either of those guys now add in Stefanski so it's like it's a challenge so Alex has done it. I don't think it'll be crazy for him to call plays, relay them into the headset. He's a former quarterback. All of that stuff comes natural to him. But like you said, 
in your question, there's the, there's the challenge of being able to adjust in game. Can't, can't communicate with Stefanski at all. So they lost their top two offensive minds, essentially. I, I would consider Callahan their second most effective offensive mind. And, um, you know, you're going to need that. You're probably going to need that in some way, shape, or form. The good thing is Pittsburgh doesn't deviate from their defensive scheme very much. So there might not be a ton of that, but um, that needs adjusting maybe in game. But for the most part, it's going to be it's going to be a really big challenge in terms of what they do as it goes on. They'll 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 sit down. He'll have so much discourse with Stefanski leading up mm-hmm. to the game. They'll know everything they want in every situation. They'll have the, the play sheet, the big laminated play sheet broken out into second and medium, third and long, third and short, third and third and medium, whatever. They'll have it all broken out. There's special plays. They have uh, fourth down plays they like. They have trick plays they might like that they maybe put in over the course of the year and have it run. It'll all be there. It's nothing. He doesn't have to, he doesn't have to conjure anything up. Uh, but there will be times in which, hey, man, we need to adjust and run uh, power to the backside here because they don't they don't cover it real well because of a technique issue, whatever. That's the stuff I'm worried about. So we'll see. I may, and the good, but there is kind of a yin to the yang here, which is he has no track record of tendencies. I was just going to ask you about that. Yeah. I, that was, <laughs> yeah. You just led into my next question. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll cut you off just real quick. Could it? Could this be an advantage for the Browns? Just a little bit. You look, it's the third time they're playing the Steelers. You think, you know, the tendencies, you know, between the coaching staffs might get picked up on a little bit. Just any chance this could actually be a little bit of an advantage for the Browns looking on the bright side of things. Yeah, it, it, it could. Uh, there's disadvantages to it that probably, um, you know, kind of balance out the advantages to but, but there is a, a situation in which they don't know his tenant. I mean, Stefanski's played two games against him, called two games against him. And you can, you can have that argument whether he held some things back week 17 or not. I don't know, maybe a little bit. But two games and 16 games worth of plays that have tendencies that Pittsburgh's broken down. There's not a doubt in my mind Pittsburgh has every single Browns play broken down throughout the season. So the, that's a, all out the window. You, you don't know because there's, no, there's nobody in – Alex Van Pelt's ear. It's just him calling it, whatever he wants to do. So they don't know his first down play action rate. They don't know his second down tendency and favorite route concepts and second and long. Like they don't know those things. So you can't tilt your coverage to a certain, you know, Hey, we think the Browns are going to run two verticals on the, on the, on the field side here. So we're going to run cover six because we think it's, it's just a highlight, but they don't have that. So there's, there's a little bit of things here that could be advantageous for Cleveland. Stefanski being out kind of creates that void a little bit there, but it remains to be seen. Alex has to put it all together. He has to perform really well and all of that has to happen. So, so yeah, I mean, we have to, you have to look at it from uh, is, is, is the advantageous situation for Van Pelt without tendencies going to outweigh maybe the lack of a conducive in-game altering of the game plan or tweak to the run game or tweak to any number of little things a route concept, a play action scheme, whatever, that maybe they would have gotten from Stefanski and, and, and Callahan. So I probably think that that I would – I don't think there's a problem here. I'd rather have Stefanski and Callahan involved. There's not a doubt in my mind. But there is a world in which we live where Sunday some of those um, likelihood of, of uh, the, the uh, tendencies, it, it becomes a place in which maybe they can pop a big play on a play action deep shot or something like that. So – that will be something to keep an eye on and talk about after the game. That's for sure. That's me as a, as a fan of the team, looking at it with rose colored glasses for sure. But I, I had that thought it's, it's just, maybe, just maybe it's not the, you know, it, it could work out in the Browns favor. Unlike so many things have in the last couple of weeks. And 
Jake, I, I want to flip to the other side of the football as well and talk Steelers offense versus Browns defense, because I actually have a lot more optimism about that, which we can touch on here in a second. But first, let's just take a quick break and hear from a sponsor. Hey, everyone. I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and you just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you as well. As part of the program, you'll receive cover art, Q&As with Blue Out Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips, tricks, and, and best practices, everything you need to know in order to get that podcast off the ground and, and to a top level. So on top of that, we're going to help get your show out on Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, all the other listening platforms. And the best part is you get all of this for just $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site that would charge you for the initial setup out there. Just the ones you can use on your own. Why not launch with Blue Wire Hustle where you actually get the tools to succeed? So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply to Blue Wire Hustle, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. All right, and we're back here on the rebuild jake burns breaking it all down for us as we preview this brown steelers playoff matchup coming to you on sunday night and jake on the last podcast i posited and this was before we had all of the news about uh, the COVID absences and all of that that i actually thought the most optimistic thing for the browns coming into this game is i think their defense stands a better chance than most would think uh, against this Steelers offense, just given the fact that the Browns defense hasn't been uh, very strong this season. I think they actually had some reasons to be optimistic, though, coming out of that week 17 matchup in. Let's start with the quarterbacks for the Steelers. I actually thought Mason Rudolph played pretty well last week, and there was a lot of narrative going around about, oh, the Browns beat the Steelers backups. They beat the Steelers backups. Well, the Steelers starting receivers played, and I thought Mason Rudolph actually threw the ball pretty well. So is Big Ben going to be a totally different level than the Browns saw in that week? Or do you think the gap might not be as big as everybody's making it out to be? Well, there won't be a deep throw gap. I thought Mason threw the deep ball really well. I mean, right? he dropped a couple throws. Yeah, a couple fades he dropped in the bucket. Great throw to Deontay Johnson up the right sideline on the first fade that was caught. Just an, a beautiful outside shoulder ball. Hit hit Chase Claypool on a ball up the left sideline on a vertical throw. Uh, the, there was a throw there to Claypool on fourth and ten, which was more of a jump ball. I won't give him any real, real points for that. But he did hit a, a, a dynamite post throw uh, there on that last drive of theirs that, that – beat Carl Joseph to the spot on the hash. So like, I don't think there will be much of a difference. And I even think there's, there's a world in which on Sunday Mason out through out through or outperformed what Ben will be able to do this Sunday deep downfield. Like I don't, I don't have any doubt about there won't be any uh, great improvement there. Put it that way. Could see some similarities because Ben can still, can still drop the ball in 30 to 40 yards pretty accurately. He just doesn't have, he doesn't have to rip it 
deep shot arm like Mason uh, put out a, that 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 ball that uh, to Giante in the fourth quarter. I think that that's a throw Ben probably doesn't make, but um, you know those other ones he can make. And Pittsburgh is notorious for just throwing fades. Like it just annoys it annoys me to no end because they did it last year with Mason when they came to Cleveland on that Thursday night. They didn't hit any of them, but they just kept throwing it. Then Duck Hodges in that Week 16 game or whatever it was at the end of the season. Uh, just uh, I could be off on the week there, but the end, their end of the season matchup in Pittsburgh, he hit a couple fades. It's like they just throw these fades that get caught, and it's so annoying. And uh, the difference, though, that has to be talked about is the quick throw stuff. He's just been as much more efficient in quick throw, get the ball out, get the ball to where it needs to go. He won't he won't have a back foot lob throw like we saw Mason panic and throw that interception. He won't do that. He'll just eat a sack because he's he's got an, an intelligent head on his shoulders with pressure. Um, but he's more effective throwing anything quick out, anything crossers, anything mesh route. He's so good at it. He sees over the line very well. He finds easy throwing lanes for middle of the field stuff. So where the Browns, I thought there were four or five instances where Mason just didn't see somebody right in front of his face on a crossing or drag or, or mesh concept, Ben will hit those. So those sorts of things, intermediate to short is the difference. Now, can you get by in a game where you just get enough stops on, uh, you know, Pittsburgh with short intermediate stuff? Maybe, probably the Bengals did. You can do it. Um, and the Colts were for the most part until it, they hit a couple shots over their head, but you're not going to see some, some, some air it out deep throw difference. That's just not, that's not a thing, but where you will see it is decision-making short, quick throws, beating the blitz things Ben's done throughout the course of his career. So, We'll see. Joe Woods said he has some things up his sleeve to try to confuse him. And uh, as from a defensive standpoint, it sucks to lose Ronnie Harrison today. I'm sure they weren't prepared for that, but mm. uh, getting Sandejo back is, is okay. I mean, he's not nearly as athletic or good on the football field, but he is a cerebral guy who obviously has been a big part of uh, secondary adjustment and all that stuff and alignment. He's been a big part of it. That's why he's gotten snaps this year. So they probably like that, but you know, do what you can to confuse him. Try to take it away or, or run more man than he expects and make some of those short intermediate uh, throws a challenge. Challenge those things, and, and we'll see what happens. But I expect Pittsburgh to still lob some throws up the sideline because that's just who they are, and and it's somehow found success against Cleveland, unfortunately. And, you know, you're missing Denzel, and you might have to start Robert Jackson again because Kevin Johnson's mm-hmm. also out. So we'll keep our eye on all that stuff too. They, they definitely feel like their four wide receivers are a problem for Cleveland, and they're, and they're right about that. And that's one of the biggest things we still don't know as we record this podcast is is the status of Denzel Ward, right? Because you brought it up. Robert Jackson is not someone the Browns want to have to play on on Sunday. And I didn't think he did horrible, but but the Steelers obviously went after him a lot. Um, That fourth and sixth play, they, they needed something immediately. It was towards Robert Jackson's area of the field a couple other times. It was obvious Mason Rudolph basically as soon as he got the ball looked right in Robert Jackson's direction. And I, I wasn't even afraid to admit this as a, as a as a frequent Browns watcher. When I heard Robert Jackson was starting last Sunday, I was trying to rack my brain as to who Robert Jackson exactly was. I had to look up if he had played on defense at all this year. And he had gotten some snaps in that Jacksonville game. But I was like, man, I really don't remember seeing him on the field a whole lot. So, I mean, the difference between him and Denzel Ward will obviously be a massive factor in this game. And we just we just don't know ward status yet and even if he plays what he'll be like you know uh, obviously COVID has affected miles garrett and some other players pretty significantly in terms of their ability to perform as well we just don't know what that's going to be like no we don't you're right and 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 
there's still days left, right? Like so uh, much, so the, much the could happen could, between now and Sunday. You know? Yeah, yeah. You you really don't. You really don't. I didn't. I didn't think anything else would pop up the rest of the week, but you know, losing Harrison now, and, and you you really, you really never know. It is nice getting BJ Goodson back. I think mm-hmm. that'll help. He's just a solid presence in the middle, and they can be a little bit more creative with Jacob Phillips now too. So we'll keep our eye on that. But but the hope here is, and somebody asked me this yesterday. You know, can the Browns afford to lose anybody else? And I'm to the point now where I'm like, they can't. They just they they can't afford to lose anyone the rest of the week before it's like just this is not going to happen type of thing. Yeah, not that I sure. feel good about it, but um, I feel like right now we're in anything could happen territory instead of like feeling good or okay about the game. But if yeah. it gets if it gets more bleak and they lose maybe Adrian Claiborne or another interior guy like Sheldon or something, it's just gonna be like it's not happening, man it's fun but it's not happening so uh you know the good thing is juju supplied some some added uh motivation tonight if you mm-hmm. haven't checked that out on on twitter and and, and he, he kind of just labeled it the same old browns and they don't really have anybody uh, good outside of a couple people so i always say man and i've said it for years football is a motivation business and sometimes it just takes somebody doubting you publicly saying something stupid publicly and you play out of your mind and hopefully maybe fingers crossed the Browns have enough motivation, enough underdog mentality, enough fight there that, that maybe they will be able to show up and, and, and play out. Cause I had a buddy of mine text me and say, Hey, I saw like first time playoff starting quarterbacks are like 15 and 36 over the last decade uh, in their first playoff game. And I'm like, well, there's a lot of that too, that ties to crowd noise and being in Pittsburgh would be very difficult for this team, especially Sands, Stefanski, and some of their important minds. But in an empty stadium where communication is not going to be a problem, where there's not going to be home field advantage, uh, intimidation, um, there's some of that that could balance out. So, you know, if you're looking glass half full, that's certainly a place you look. For sure, for sure. And, and for those who didn't see or, or just will have seen this maybe tomorrow when they're listening to the podcast, Smith Schuster said, uh, oh, basically, I, I'm pulling up the quote now. I think they're still the same Browns that I've played every year. I think they're nameless gray faces. They have a couple of good players on their team. But at the end of the day, the Browns are the Browns. It's AFC North football. They're a good team. I'm just happy we're playing them again. So that's that bulletin board material, Jake, that you're referencing that the Browns could potentially use. And in addition to that, they got, you know, BJ Goodson back, like you said, and hopefully him, you know, Jacob Phillips had a really strong last game and maybe those guys can sure up the linebacking core, but Jake, to me, and this is really the last thing I have and reason for optimism is I, I'm going to hammer this until it gets rectified one day, but the Steelers offensive line to me has been grossly overrated this year by people who aren't paying attention. And the fact that Villanueva was elected to the pro bowl, what was absurd to be honest, he, I, at least in my opinion, every time I've watched the Steelers, he has struggled and yes, they didn't play Marquise Pouncey last week, but they played most of their starting offensive line and the Browns had some success there. To me, that's ultimately how the Browns win this game is they hold Pittsburgh to a lower point total than people expect. And the reason it happens is because Big Ben is under pressure a lot, like we saw in that Bengals game in prime time. 
am do you agree with that assessment that that that's where the Browns need to succeed? And do you think they have a good chance uh, uh, of getting to Big Ben with the way the Steelers' offensive line is played? Yeah, they they do. And if you can make Ben hold on to the football a little bit longer than he wants to, they can get there. It just takes a couple little moves, man, that you get loose and you get free and Miles is in and you can strip sack. And like you mentioned, it's just they have to create two or three punts and they have to create a couple turnovers. And how you do that is you get pressure and you get pressure from your guys up front. You need Miles Garrett to play out of his mind, right? Like you need him to dominate dominate or whatever and you're right if they if they win this game looking at them defensively if they can hold Pittsburgh to 21 or below it's probably because Ben was uncomfortable if Ben's sitting back there doing Ben things until he finds somebody then it's going to be a really long night and we'll probably uh, have a pretty big indication of what that's going to look like early in the game you just can tell so I hope they send pressure Hope they send pressure with some combined man-to-man and try to really just get up in Pittsburgh's face and challenge Ben like like teams have done to them over that last five-game stretch and not be intimidated by their players, not be intimidated by their skill guys. And I think you can really cause them to have some trouble there because they want to get the ball. They, they don't run it a ton, obviously, and I don't expect them to have a great run game this Sunday. But, uh, you know, if you can take away their run game and you can force them to not get those, what I call our long handoffs, quick throws and screens, take those away from them, make them have to hit intermediate and deep throws, then you're probably cooking and you have a chance to, to play with these guys. So I, I certainly think you're, you're spot on with, if we look back at this and the Browns have won. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Uh, I, 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 that's, that's the way I see it as that's the Browns path to victory is. And if you're about, if you're a betting person, I'd say maybe take the under in this game. Uh, I, I think it could be a little bit more low scoring than people think. And as the underdog, I think that's where the Browns maybe have a chance to win as well is to, you know, limit the possessions, hope you get the turnovers, a couple of things bounce in your favor and obviously lower scoring game favor is the underdog. So that's kind of my vision as somebody who's looking for a path to victory as a Browns fan, I, I look, I don't feel amazing about this game. It's it, it hurts that, you know, after this, this season, this magical season where the Browns have been 11 and five, they're finally in the playoffs to not feel, you know, super confident going into the game, but that's just the reality of the situation. However, all that being said, I'm going to sit back. I'm going to enjoy it. The Browns are playing with house money a little bit right now. It sounds like Jake, you kind of feel the same way at this point. Certainly. I think that you're spot on talking about the under. The Browns have not scored 30 points against Pittsburgh since 2003. So I don't think it's going to be some high scoring uh, 31, 34, 37 type performance from Cleveland. I think if they win, it's 18, 14, 21, 17, something like that, where they they put just a, they find a way to get in the end zone three times and and they keep Pittsburgh out uh, just kind of just that perfect number of keeping them out and turning them over a few times and frustrating them. So it is a house of money game. There's no doubt about it there. You don't like talking about excuses. You don't like doing any of that ahead of a game, but there's there, there, there just are the Browns are fighting too many things that are out of their control uh, to fix. It's not injuries. It's not, it's not a guy on their staff didn't follow protocol. It's just, it, it sucks thing and it's happened and they're real actual excuses so I know they're not viewing them that way they've done a great job organizationally staying in line with the we're not using it we're ready we can handle it 
but eventually you can't like you can only do so much and 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 that's just the fact of the matter you can only do so much but i like that they're saying the right things i like that they're trying to be uh positive about a really really tough situation and and uh when you have that mind you know that state of mind and that approach crazy things can happen for people that think the right way. So we'll hope that happens, but you're right. There, there should definitely be, we're playing with house money. Let's play loose. Let's play free. Let's go make plays. And maybe we upset these guys. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think the Browns have, you know, from everything you hear in the press conferences from Stefanski, from the players, they've handled it the right way. They've had the right attitude. It's just everything else that has worked against them. And as you said, you know, it's, I, I've referred to this phrase before, and I did it particularly uh, after the Jets game, is there are excuses and there are reasons. And I think what you're seeing right now are, are reasons why the Browns are at a uh, unfortunate disadvantage, more so than they would expect to be. So, Jake, that's all I have for you. Thanks so much for coming on tonight. Just before we go, let everybody know where they can find all of your work on the Browns, just because I reference it so often. I want to make sure our Browns fans know where they can find you when I do that. Yeah, of course. Uh, the OBR, the Orange and Brown Report, uh, the OBR.com is where uh, I write and, and all of that stuff is is up there daily. And you can check out my Twitter feed at Jake underscore Burns 18. And then I have my own podcast, the uh, OBR Film Breakdown, uh, that is a weekly, sometimes two a week, depending on the flavor. You can find it all there. It's a, there's an OBR Film Breakdown YouTube channel to follow along with. We get stuff up uh, pretty much every week. Sometimes some some hit or miss stuff happens there, but but pretty much weekly. And then there's the uh, OBR Film Breakdown Twitter handle where some films get film clips get posted there too. So I always appreciate the support, Henry. I always appreciate you referencing my stuff, man. That means a lot to me. And and uh, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, Jake. You are doing some of the best Browns coverage out there. Uh, Browns fans, to everybody out there, thank you so much for, for listening to this podcast all year. We will, uh, of course, have a, a reaction to whatever happens on Sunday after it all goes down. And, and look, it's house money, like we just said. It's house money at this point. It's not the way we want it to be, but uh, it's the way that it is. So I'm going to certainly still be sitting down on Sunday night and, and cheering on the Browns, and I assume all you will too. And until then, guys, I just have two words for everybody out there. Go Browns! <laughs>